0: Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Bars. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth in Education podcast, where we explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK, with a range of expert guests. This podcast is brought to you by the Centre for Education and Youth. Hi, it's Vanessa. Welcome to the Youth in Education podcast. In this episode, I speak to Annis Walcox from the Centre for Social Justice, we discuss exclusions, the Integrated Project, and the new APPG they established school exclusions and alternative provision. The Centre for Education and Youth believes society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adulthood. Find us at cfey.org. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm going to be speaking to Alice Wilcock. Senior Policy Analyst at the Centre for Social Justice. Hi Alice, thanks for joining us today, how are you?
1: Hey Vanessa, I'm good thank you, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us. Would you just like to start by introducing um, yourself?
1: Yeah of course, um, so my name's Alice and as you mentioned I work as a Senior Policy Analyst at Centre for Social Justice and the focus of my work is on school exclusions and alternative provision. Um, my work as a senior policy analyst involves both researching policy issues that are most pertinent for pupils in alternative provision and those at risk of exclusion, and then also lobbying for change at government level. I'm also kind of like our in-house number nerd, um, so I spend a lot of my time on DFE statistics websites or foi and um, to get a sense of all things really, ranging from how is alternative provision funded to the characteristics of pupils who are excluded from school, um, and anything in between really.
0: That's brilliant, that's a lot of interesting stuff that you're doing there. Previously I know you did some youth work in your hometown of Wigan, how did you find this?
1: Yeah so um, I guess I kind of started out working as a Member of Youth Parliament in Wigan and Lee, Um and I was really drawn to Youth Parliament because there's a big focus on youth voice in the creation of um, policy. Um, and It was really our first opportunity to start talking to young people in our area about what mattered to them and how we could represent them in in Westminster, I guess. Um, And so we hosted a series of workshops and conversations with young people in community centres to get a sense of what they thought were the biggest challenges they faced. And one of the things that was highlighted in this work was the lack of access to um, cams and mental health resources Mm. in the local area. I mean I, I learned quite a lot of things in this in this capacity especially about local politics and education committees and schools forums. I guess the biggest takeaway for me was the importance of lived experience informing policy decisions.
0: It's a really interesting background and I'm sure it applies a lot to the work that you're doing today.
1: Yeah um, I'm really struck actually um, how it applies in, in terms of like the local policy decisions often are what I spend my time scrutinising in my capacity at Alternative Provision and Exclusions is very much a devolved matter and each local area treats the issues very differently. Mm, That's brilliant.
0: Um, And how did you get into your current role at the Centre for Social Justice?
1: So I originally worked at the CSJ um, in our criminal justice unit um, and I was very much focused on violence reduction units and um, gang violence, specifically in London. Um, and I've always really been interested in the transformative power of education and the need to make our education system work for those who, who need it the most, really. Um, and we had previously put together a paper called Providing the Alternative, um, which focused on the alternative provision um, sector. And really, it was just a great opportunity came up to, to do more of this work and to get more involved in the policy um, area of exclusions in AP. And I was very lucky that I was interested in the cross-section between criminal justice and education and this role kind of appealed to me too because of um, its focus on data analysis and, and kind of filling in the gaps of what we don't know mm. about pupils who are from school. Um, so it was a lot of good luck, but it's definitely become something I'm really passionate about.
0: For our listeners that don't know what alternative provision is, so you've mentioned it a few times, would you mind just explaining what that is, please?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So alternative provision is defined in statutory guidance as education arranged by local authorities um, for pupils who, because of exclusions, illness or other reasons, uh, would not otherwise receive a suitable education. Um, And this can be commissioned by the local authority or it can actually be commissioned from schools, um, so in a more proactive sense of behaviour interventions and support for a pupil to access the mainstream curriculum. Um, And from what we know, the majority of pupils in alternative provision end up in AP schools um, that are state funded. And then they're known kind of as pupil referral units, but they could also be academies or free schools. But there's loads of different forms, and it can include things like one to one tuition, work based placements, um, independent schools, and um, unregulated provision too, which is an area that's getting increasing focus.
0: I understand you're um, working on the Integrated Project, which also looks at alternative provision. Would you mind kind of telling our listeners a little bit more about this project and what its aims are?
1: Yeah, so this this is kind of how the opportunity came to the CSJ. The Integrated Project is a collaboration of 19 different partners um, and we're all united under uh, two dual aims, which is to reduce preventable exclusions and um, to improve the quality of alternative provision. And notably our approach is conducted through a whole child development lens so that's 19 different organizations spanning education policy charity um, and it's a really exciting project because we all have come together to learn from each other's expertise and share what we've learned over the course of the next three years um, we're really trying to cultivate an understanding of what works because there's a lot of blind spots in alternative provision and exclusions policy and to mm. share what we learn And it's a a kind of long-term commitment. Initially, the project's been set up for three years, Um, but at the end of that, our funder will kind of evaluate what's been effective and how have we been been pushing for policy change across the country? And where she thinks we've been effective, the project may well be rolled out for another six years. So it's exciting because there's a really chance here to create long-term change in the system.
0: That sounds like a lot, 19 organisations. I understand that csj the hub kind of how does that work
1: yeah there's there's lots of different partners and and i don't really think i can probably explain each and every one of them in depth but can i do a shameless plug here Vanessa? absolutely Um, we have a website which is integrated.org.uk which kind of highlights all the different partners and their brilliant work that they're doing Um, and and i plug it not only to kind of encourage listeners to uh, find out more about the project partners. But if you're listening to this podcast and you have an interest in exclusions and alternative provision, or if you just want to learn more, we have actually created a tool on there called Get Connected, um, which effectively works a directory to find people working in this space with interest in all sorts of things, ranging from like mental health to funding to accountability. Um, and so I just encourage every listener to, to go over there and to learn from the expertise because we're trying to create a platform of experts here. But if I think about the project itself and their partners, I was thinking about this earlier, and I think I'd categorise them um, on four different themes. That would be organisations piloting interventions in mainstream to reduce preventable exclusions. Projects that are rooted in AP, and they focus on improving the quality of AP. Teacher training organisations who are hoping to develop system leadership And then the category that I think CSJ probably falls within, researchers developing our knowledge and what we know about exclusions.
0: Would you kind of tell me a little bit more about these themes and how these work together?
1: Yeah, okay, so I guess because the project's dual aims are to reduce preventable exclusions and improve the quality of AP, the one of the most natural places to start is in in mainstream environments and reducing preventable exclusions. I'm conscious when I use that phrase, some, some listeners might not know what I mean. When we use the phrase reducing preventable exclusions, we mean intervening earlier in a child's life or making changes in the school system to put support in place that helps pupils um, to engage with the curriculum and behavior system and subsequently prevents them getting to the point of permanent exclusion. And we've got a myriad of partners all working at, on this aim, but from different perspectives. So mm. yeah, a literacy intervention or in-school alternative provision um, or partnership working, or even sharing knowledge between teachers in alternative provision and in mainstream settings and sharing training resources. There's a couple of partners that I'd like to highlight, but I won't be able to highlight them all. Is that okay, Vanessa?
0: Yeah, um, as many partners as you can highlight would be great. Um, I know they're doing a lot, a lot of really great work.
1: Cool. Okay. So I guess um, one of the project partners that I want to um, highlight is Bright to Succeed, which is... a literacy intervention is place-based and they're focused in Blackpool. And they're um, looking at the relationship between literacy and permanent exclusions. Blackpool is a really interesting area because it's the area of the country with the highest proportion of pupils identified as being in alternative provision. So nationally, we know about 0.4% of pupils are educated in AP. But in Blackpool, that figure is actually 1% of pupils. and they also conducted some analysis looking at their average reading age of pupils in secondary school in Blackpool and what they found was that the literacy level of pupils in Blackpool is relatively low compared to the national average but specifically in their alternative provision there it, it's much lower than the mainstream settings so they're working off this hypothesis that many children who are excluded lack the language and communication skills to access the curriculum and this is something that actually is quite a strong theme in any kind of government research around this issue. And what they're trying to do is close the literacy gap by working with secondary schools and the alternative provision in that area and um, to enable people to better communicate with those around them. And so that's kind of like looking at a local authority level and bringing all the schools together. And another one of our partners is looking at it from a very different angle they're looking at it from their multi-academy trust. And um, so we work with Inspiration Trust. Um, and they're a Matt that has recently launched a trust-wide inclusion strategy and um, their data on exclusions hasn't been that great in the past um, and they've set themselves a target of trying to address this over the next couple of years so they did a big audit of the reasons behind their exclusions and they're now piloting the use of in-school alternative provision units uh, with an alternative curriculum and this is actually something that's quite exciting for me and um, from a perspective of research, because we don't actually know what a good in-school alternative provision unit should look like, it, it's something that Timson pushed in his review of school exclusions that mm. the good out more guidance about what a good in-school unit looks like, um, and this is quite a problem because we've heard from a lot of AP schools when we were kind of um, talking to head teachers that they'd love to, you know, invest in in-school AP in their local area, but they don't know what good looks like. Yet yeah, about 90% of school leaders have actually used on-site inter- internal alternative provision. And so at the end of this project, they'll evaluate whether or not their on-site AP has actually helped reduce conventional decisions.
0: So Alice, I know the second aim um, of the project is improving the quality of AP. Could you talk to me a little bit about what the project has been doing um, to address this aim?
1: Yeah, so CSJ actually um, set out to get an understanding of what we actually mean when we talk about quality of alternative provision. Um, and we did a big report back in back in May now actually called um, Warming the Cold Spots of Alternative Provision. And that, that was looking at um, what metrics are available to assess AP quality nationally. Um, and we very much landed on the conclusion that it's quite difficult to use your standard metrics. So your offset results, your uh, GCSE results, or your destinations data to get a proper sense of what quality is in ap and um, and so we now actually have a senior researcher focusing on what quality means in alternative provision and and thinking more broadly because in ap you're often facing some people with very complex needs and what one people might need to do for their own personal progression such as um you know in one instance a child might need to focus on uh, improving their behavior and um so I guess understanding quality in AP is a multifaceted um, question. In some cases, the right thing for a child is to reintegrate to a mainstream environment, but in others, it's much better for the child to stay within the AP setting to sit their GCSEs there. Um, and it's very difficult to create any metric that fully encapsulates this. Um, and so we're looking into how can you start talking about quality and quality provision across the system. And um, we also have some great project partners who are focusing on things that we do know about what quality of AP is and um, so we work with the Anna Freud Centre which is a charity providing training for mental health services and they're rolling out parental engagement programs across 10 APs and 30 mainstream schools and their work is actually building on a really strong evidence base from from government research that shows that helping child uh, to challenge uh, to change problematic behaviors through multifamily family based treatment and um, is actually really great at sustainably affecting behaviour change and it kind of draws upon the fact that parents as seen as key, as having a key role in children's learning um, and parents themselves actually welcome positive exchanges with alternative providers so their program effectively encourages parents to become involved in the children's education and attend sessions in AP um, hmm. and it builds on the success of the family school which has resulted in about 60% of pupils reintegrated into their former school
0: so alice i know one of the things that you're working on currently is teacher training as part of the project um could you tell me a little bit about what you're focusing on um, and what kind of organizations you've been doing work with
1: yeah of course and so integrated has a focus on investing in teachers who work with our young people and and our teacher training organizations include teach first ambition institute and and the difference and I'll give you a bit of a flavour of what they're doing because they all focus on different aspects of teacher training and um, so teach first is actually investigating what we mean when we talk about whole child development and they're trying to embed the four main principles of whole child development into their programs and raise awareness among teachers and leaders about how these principles can benefit pupils in schools and they're also trying to use their training to teach teachers how they can effectively um, address the underlying factors of pupils' behaviour. Um, mm-hmm. So, kind of nipping behaviour in the bud before they need to escalate it to permanent exclusion. And another partner that we're working with is The Difference, which is doing this really innovative programme called the Difference Leader, um, Leaders Program, which takes mainstream school teachers and places them in leadership positions in AP settings while developing their schools to work with and understand vulnerable children. So, it's kind of cross pollinating. Between mainstream and AP, what what works and what's the best approach to supporting these young pupils?
0: In one of your recent blogs on the Integrated website, um, you discussed the that the government should consider removing incentives to high pupil movement by creating a combined measure that accounts for all moves to AP. For our listeners that haven't listened to this, um, that haven't read this blog, are you able to explain a little bit more about what you mean by this and how this would look?
1: yeah of course um, so over recent years um as the exclusions rate nationally has kind of ticked up and then started to plateau um, there's been an increased focus on permanent exclusions in the media and this is especially the case if you look at local media coverage where there's kind of a focus on how high permanent exclusions rates are locally um, relative to the rest of the country and as a consequence there's actually been a big push across local authorities to try and reduce their permanent exclusion figures even in some cases leading to area wide and zero exclusion policies and this has culminated in many different ways so some areas have produced really thorough reviews through scrutiny groups to look at what's driving high rates of exclusion and what extreme support can they put in place to support these pupils and prevent permanent exclusions but there's also emerging evidence concerning areas that are reducing their permanent exclusion rates and through other means simply by moving pupils into AP, but hiding them on their books. You may have come across the term off-rolling, which has captured the attentions of researchers and Ofsted recently. And it doesn't have a legal definition. It's quite difficult to um, spot in the data. But the definition that we work with comes from Ofsted, which is, removing a pupil from the school role without a permanent exclusion or encouraging a parent to take their child off the school role when it's not in the best interest of that child in fact it's in the best interest of the school and it's quite difficult to then look at figures of pupil movement and kind of ascertain whether or not a situation is off-rolling or is actually a parent making the choice to remove their child because they'd rather send them to a different school altogether um, you and you can't make that assessment as to what's in the best interest of the pupil just by looking at administrative data. Um, and that's where the difficulty comes in. You can hide behind moves off role, um instead of permanent exclusions. Um, and it's also kind of like a difficult area from the perspective of a parent, because I should, I should address this. From my perspective in terms of policy formation, it's quite difficult to have these moves off roll because it hides the areas that, it makes it difficult for us to distinguish the areas that need that support and have high levels of pupil movement and um, for the ones that don't but from a parent's perspective if they're being threatened with a permanent exclusion for their child they may well think that moving their child off role is actually in the best interest of their child and um, hmm. but from our perspective it's not strictly about whether or not a move off roll or a marriage move is uh good or bad we're quite agnostic about whether or not it has better life outcomes and that's something um the integrated project we'll be looking at will be looking at does it matter how a pupil has moved off role does it have any influence or bearing upon their outcomes in life um but from our perspective it's more about the transparency and the need to have a right to appeal and um, so we kind of started looking to look into this issue and one of our project partners the education policy institute has looked into this topic in depth um, and they've provided research on unexplained exits. So they've effectively tried to strip out all the kinds of move-off roll that could be explained by family's best interest, and though what remains might not be an accurate number for the number of off-rolling moves, it's a great starting point for analysing this issue. So, when you look at the number of unexplained exits to AP and permanent exclusions, as we did in our blog, you find some really dramatic shifts in the overall rates in pupil movement in local areas. In fact, we found one in five local authorities have below-average permanent exclusion rates but really high, above-average unexplained exits to AP. Um, And if you incorporate unexplained exits to AP, it dramatically changes the ranking of which areas have the highest pupil movement. So we use this blog to call upon the government to revise what they publish and to focus efforts on a metric that more accurately captures the unofficial routes into full-time AP and doing so would remove the incentive to use administrative tricks to hide pupil movement. Um, and alongside this, we've started to take it upon ourselves as integrated to track all these various routes into AP. Um, and I guess our first step at this is, is the integrated annual report, which pulls together all the best research from our partners into different methods of pupil movement. And um, we've also attempted to break down these different forms of pupil movement by characteristics where possible to do so, to compare exclusion rates with other forms of pupil movement. So of the characteristics that are measured, we can say that pupils who experience permanent exclusion are more likely than it appears to be male, to be black Caribbean or to be white and black Caribbean, to be gypsy Roma or traveller of Irish heritage, be disadvantaged or be on sense support, and these disproportionalities hold even when you control for other factors.
0: So Alice, earlier you touched on the, the needs of SEND students in AP, would you be able to just expand a little bit more on this please?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So one of the key findings in um, our report is that pupils in AP schools are almost six times as likely to have SEND than pupils in mainstream schools. And 81% of pupils um, in AP are on the SEND register compared to 14% of pupils in mainstream. Um, Specifically, there's a high density of pupils in alternative provision with mental health needs. Around two-thirds of pupils in AP have an identified SMH need. um, And there's a growing... Literature that examines the relationship between exclusions and mental health. So the government's green paper says that pupils with mental health difficulties are more likely to have their education disrupted due to time off or um, exclusion. And academic research suggests that not only are young people with mental health difficulties more likely to be excluded, but exclusion itself can lead to new onset mental health conditions. But one thing that I should hasten to mention that despite their high levels of need and um, of mental health need, Pupils in AP haven't been prioritised in the government's response to mental health. So in their response to the Green Paper, the government stated that their new initiatives must reach every pupil in need of support and stress the need to focus on pupils outside of mainstream education. Yet their Mental Health Trailblazers project um, uses education mental health practitioners who only have one year of uh, clinical training. And there's concerns Hmm. from people who work in Mental Health Trailblazers and in AP that they aren't qualified to deal with the needs in AP in special schools. Um, in fact, an analysis conducted by my colleague Sabrina Hummel, um, which is also on our blog, found that two in five trailblazer areas are not working with excluded children. And in the areas where they are working with APs, only one in five have a specified strategy to work in these settings. Um, so one of our recommendations from CSJ is to put APs at the centre of the Mental Health Trailblazers project
0: so you mentioned the mental health trailblazer would you be able to just explain a little bit more about that for our listeners that haven't heard of it before
1: yeah of course and so in 2017 the government launched a green paper looking at mental health and specifically in school settings and in December 2018 the government announced its mental health trailblazer program and which was to provide support for young pupils in schools and this last year they uh, announced they were going to uh, launch fifty-seven trailblazer areas, adding to the existing twenty-five, um, and this programme is delivered jointly with the DfE and the NHS, and they create these t- um, targeted teams known as the mental health support teams, um, operating in trailblazer areas across clinical commissioning groups, and the mental health support teams are made up of four education mental health practitioners, and are supported by NHS and um, children and young people's mental health service staff
0: and kind of how would you imagine that looking in an AP setting what kind of support are you hoping to have in place for students in AP
1: well it's a difficulty the the needs of pupils in AP are quite complex in fact mm. in our FOI and um, people replied talking about the AP pupil population and um, saying that they had complex and multiple needs and often they presented with severe trauma or loss or bereavement and um, and had a density of severe issues that were much more complex than those you might see in a mainstream setting. Um, and there isn't any real clear in, uh, research into what, if this project was rolled, off, rolled out across um, AP settings, how it should differ um, when faced with more severe mental health needs. So we are um, calling on the government to uh, analyse the need across AP schools and determine the expertise and staffing needing, needed across the sector.
0: So Alice, somehow in the midst of doing all of this work, you've also managed to launch an APPG on exclusions. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Um,
0: You're welcome. Could you tell me a little bit about the process of creating it and kind of what your goals are with this?
1: Yeah, Okay. So um, last year, the CSJ became the secretariat of an all-new all-party parliamentary group for school exclusions and alternative provision. And all-party parliamentary groups are just informal cross-party groups of MPs and peers all working towards a common aim. And this APPG's aim is to facilitate upstream working to reduce preventable exclusions and to improve the quality of education for children excluded from school. So we're really lucky because it includes a team of MPs and Lords who are in their own right experts in this space. Um, Our chair is Andy Carter, MP for Warrington South, who is drawing upon his wealth of experience as trustee for TBEB, multi-academy trust, Um, And the group is co-chaired by Lord Storey, who is a former head teacher and the Liberal Democrats spokesperson in the Lords for Education. Our Vice Chairs include Lord Knight, former Schools Minister, Sally-Ann Hart, Vice Chair on the APPG on Send, and Jonathan Gullis, um, current Education Committee member. And we've got a load of great officers um, too. And um, the group launched the end of last year, and we're really excited about this, and um, because the chance to bring, bring together MPs and peers with sector experts to really tackle some unanswered questions in this space, and to raise the awareness and profile of exclusions and alternative provision in Westminster. Already the group has virtually met as, with a one off panel of experts to discuss what the biggest challenges are in the year ahead. And we're hoping that the group will c- continue to advocate for the Timpson review and put pressure on the government to change policy in this space.
0: Could you tell me a little bit about some of the themes that have come up in the first sessions?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So one of our sessions at the end of last year brought together a panel of experts working in the sector um, to talk to our APPG members, and they focused on an array of issues. Um, We had people talking about upstream working, um, and specifically how can we go about reducing preventable exclusions and... What policies would we need to see at systems level to support the uh, support school leaders in reducing preventable exclusions? Um, we also had experts talking about the fair exclusions process. So specifically when a child is excluded from school, and um, there is actually an appeals process and two levels of appeal, and um, but there's a lot of difficulties with the system at the moment, and there are concerns that it's a bit of a rubber stamping exercise. Um, so some of our experts from integrated fed in about their experience and their uh, expertise um, and challenging school exclusions and how the system needs to be improved. We also had experts talk about the quality of alternative provision and the dangers of unregulated provision um, and alongside this we were speaking about post-16 destinations so uh, about only half of uh, all pupils who are educated in AP manage to sustain a positive destination after school um, and so conversation turned to how can we support these vulnerable learners to continue on with their education and what's the challenges for pupils who don't sustain their destinations. And then we also concluded on funding. Um, So, talking about quality of alternative provision is really important, but there's massive variation in the levels of funding across across England for alternative providers, and they're not all expected to provide the same services to young people. Um, So, what can the government do to address this? And our first inquiry will be focusing on quality of alternative provision, and we're hoping to launch that in the next couple of weeks.
0: That sounds really interesting. It sounds like you've been doing a lot of work in kind of the exclusions and AP sector. Thinking forward to the future, what are your plans um, for the next year um, and how do you kind of plan on working towards those?
1: Yeah, so there's three big projects actually upcoming from CSJ in the next couple of months. Um, The first is our paper on upstream working, which aims to balance high expectations with high support to reduce the likelihood of exclusion. Um, So our paper uh, looks at making changes at the school level to create an environment in which exclusions are less likely to happen. It focuses on the need for social and emotional learning, which is often left out of the conversation, despite being a precursor of children's learning. And this paper takes a look at the literature surrounding whole school approaches to reducing exclusions. It uses new polling to, suggest, uh, to assess to what extent teachers feel equipped to implement their identified strategies to reduce exclusions and makes recommendations for teacher training organisations, schools and policymakers. makers. Um, alongside this, we're kind of flipping our attention to focus on quality of alternative provision. Um, and as mentioned earlier, we are putting together a series of AP quality benchmarks. Um, to figure out what quality means in the context of alternative provision and how can we meaningfully measure this to improve the quality of the system as a whole. Um, And we're focusing on unregulated providers. So part of our research for the Integrated Annual Report uncovered that there's about nearly 6,000 pupils who are being educated in unregulated settings. And there's some evidence to suggest that the use of unregulated AP settings is growing. Um, And precisely because it's unregulated, we don't know what the quality of the education these children is, precisely because it is unregulated, we don't know what quality of education these children are receiving. Um, However, there have been instances of unregulated settings failing to meet basic safeguarding standards. So our paper, which we hope to publish in the next couple of months, will look at how we can quality assure unregulated providers to make sure uh, that some of our most vulnerable pupils have access to the best quality education.
0: That sounds like you've got a lot of really interesting work coming up in the next few weeks um, and months. I wish you all the best of luck on that. It's been great to speak to you um, and I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot from that. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye for now. We love making this podcast. If you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it, there's a few things that you can do. One, subscribe. Hit the subscribe button in iTunes or wherever you're listening. Two, share. Share this episode with someone you know who will find it interesting. Three, review. Write a review or leave a comment. Also, feel free to contact us via the links in the show notes. Thanks a lot.